What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. We want to welcome you to this episode of the Niche Finder podcast. Today, we have Deputy Director for Somerset County, uh, Sarah Soy. I'll tell you a little bit about her background. Uh, she actually currently holds the position as Commissioner, formerly known as Freeholder for the County of Somerset. In January of this year, you started a partnership called Alpha Strategies Group, which you also do full time. So you have the two working simultaneously, it, it, it appears. Uh, you've been doing that for the last six months. So that must be exciting having that new endeavor. So I really want to drill down into how how that niche that you have uh, is operating currently in your public office position. So without further ado, I just want to introduce Sarah Soy, uh, MBA. We welcome you to the program. Well, thank you so much for that warm introduction. And uh, <laughs> happy to be the first elected official to be coming on here, but hopefully not the last. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, tell me something. As we start the program out, what would have the audience or give them a vested interest in your journey? So with politics, it's something that affects everyone. Um, but more importantly, I am a regular person that stumbled upon where I am today and I think that's where everyone really starts um, you know along their journey and so what they truly love to do I'm one of those lucky people that found it pretty early on started serving when I was 22 mm. and um, but it life never works out the way you plan it and love to share more mm. All right. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the the journey that you had to now even starting this Alpha Strategies group and you're working as a principal with that. Tell us a little bit about that. All right. So um, started off right out of college in banking, worked for Investors Bank for about five years, and I worked predominantly with commercial real estate. So I did some credit risk, portfolio management, 
and commercial real estate lending, which they call the dark side of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to work hand on hand with uh, a lot of the commercial real estate investors. And um, I started that actually at the same time while I was serving on the Board of Education and really grew up around politics. So I realized a lot of the investors, they overlapped with some of the people I met through politics and just being out and about with the community. Um, I always say that I have the bad habit or good habit maybe of talking to too many strangers. <laughs> and you realize that there are a lot of, a lot of overlap um, you know, along the way. So I got to experience that, learn the building blocks of um, the business. And I figured after talking to a few of them, I said, well, we've looked through thousands of deals at this point. One of my coworkers walked over and he said, are you tired of looking at the same old deal? And I was like, oh, what do you have in mind? <laughs> so we walked out for lunch. By the time we came back, we had this idea that we we're going to start investing in real estate. Wow. So we took more of an entrepreneurial approach. He said, if they can do it, we keep plugging the same thing into these calculators. Right. Why not give it a shot? So wow. we started our first project over in East Rutherford. Two bankers that have never done this. And we rolled the dice. We're like, all right, let's pull together our money, buy this property. And we went from there. Mm. So everything from picking out tile to figuring out how exactly, you know, zoning and approval works. And we had an awesome job. Uh, since it was our first one, we were sweating it a little bit. We're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, did we just take like this major risk that I was going to regret for the rest of my life? <laughs> <laughs> well, so... And, and, um, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And uh, that was like the first time I really, quote unquote, gambled with anything. Mm -hmm. And I realized how much I loved it because wow. I could learn each and every bit about the industry, use all, you know, any bit of relationships I might have, whether it be maybe a supplier to get something a little cheaper or even on a small scale. So I figured, why don't I take that same foundation and do it on a bigger level through consulting and work with all these different industries that I can touch. So mm. Alpha Strategies Group, how that really evolved throughout my career. And that was really the moment that sparked that interest. And we really just simplify the complexities of business. And I take all those things and put it into one. Wow. What do you consider to be your niche? Real estate is primarily my niche um, on the business side. But I would say politics, it's kind of like a dirty word today. Mm. Um, but I would say community relations so more wow. so so at the start of your journey what did you want to accomplish so in undergrad I actually didn't even pick my major my father was a police captain mm -hmm. and you know he did well for himself but he said I want you to do better wow. so he picked my major and he said I want you to major in economics he bought me a um I think it was like an economist magazine and that was my Christmas gift the one year. So he ordered me like the annual subscription. He's like, you are going to be an economist. Mm. I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to go with this. Wow. <laughs> so he, he was a stakeholder with my college education. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not really too sure what exactly I want to do anyways. So I rolled with it. 
I figure economics encompasses everything. So no matter what you do, it really comes back to econ. And that's kind of something that we learned to even with the MBA program with mm-hmm. uh, Baroque Langdana's program that we we're mm-hmm. talking about before. Um, but that's how I really started is, you know, what I, I guess, not really picked, but went with my major (laughs) in undergrad. And that's how it really evolved into what I do today and every single business and sector possible. Uh, Did you hit any roadblocks when you started your current journey? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I I think there's uh, roadblocks every single day. So, Mm. you know, whether it's just waiting for someone else to have that their portion of the job done or making sure that you have reasonable deliverables and um you know as the the goldman method method is uh <laughs> under promise over deliver so mm. trying to stay true to that while balancing uh community relations i think the hardest uh struggle i had in public service was figuring out what to do with the pandemic so a lot of constituents, uh, they lost their jobs. They, therefore, they couldn't put food on the table. They couldn't provide shelter. And luckily, they, you know, they stopped the eviction process. But that also impacted people on the private sector side. So the, the economy on the local level, too, is a very delicate balance. Yeah. And each and every one of those people, they are valuable stakeholders. And you want to make sure that you represent each and every one of them to the best of your ability. And that's the oath that we take. And, you know, I take it very seriously. I try to stand to it. And myself and, you know, my colleagues, we said, this is really a full-time job. Yeah. So we put our heads together. Um, personally, I'm the liaison to the Somerset County Business Partnership. And we found like the Bridgewater Commons Mall. They took like a major hit, your office complexes. Um, I personally met with a bunch of the manufacturing companies in the area because we saw industries leaving uh, not just Somerset County, but New Jersey. So I figured, let's try to get ahead of this curve and see what we can do. And there were tons of roadblocks there. Uh, people, they had conflicting ideas for how we should approach this. And no one has a crystal ball. So we don't know what's coming next. We didn't know how long this was going to be. We finally, you know, can see each other's faces now as of Friday. And, right. you know, walk into a store. I walked into Trader Joe's, actually, uh, the, the day that the, uh, the mask requirements were lifted. And I saw everyone walking with their masks and they were looking around like, is it okay? Is this back to normal? (laughs) So you can get each other's approval or we're going to get yelled at. (laughs) Right. So it's um, those little moments like that where you really go out into the community and it's just trial and and error. There were plenty of things that I threw out there that I thought that was the right answer and it just did not work. It did not take with, you know, with the market necessarily and but we gave it a shot and when we got you know kicked down we got back up and tried it again wow with some you know new approach Uh, what epiphany did you experience and what new opportunity did you discover from that event so i learned a lot by having that one-on-one conversation Hmm. so it was um 
really building that personal relationship to the point where you can trust one another, speak a little more candidly um, off the record with some of the concerns of industry. And I, I don't get on these calls or to the Zoom meetings to get flattered and say, you know, great job, commissioner, and have like an ego boost. I really want people to give them, to give me honest feedback. Because if there's something that we can do better on the private-public partnership side, um, we should. So one of my larger cases that I worked on this year was the suburban disadvantage. Hmm. And what I realized, I worked at the EDA for about two years and learned hands-on how all the um, incentives are appropriated. And we realized the six major cities in the state of New Jersey, although they do need funding, and I'm not saying that they don't, but they shouldn't receive all of it. Mm. Because a lot of New Jersey were built upon these small downtowns, that hometown feel. We're not all major cities. Um, we can see right now people are leaving the cities. We are up 2.4% um, in our rateables because people are flocking out here. Values are skyrocketing. And that actually saved us. We're able to have a 0% tax rate increase, which was incredible during these times for a second year in a row. So we have that balance of having fiscal responsibility and making sure that, you know, we can combat some of these challenges. But Somerset County is one of those areas that is um, overall a more affluent region in the state. But we have pockets that they have um, food insecurity. Mm. They are struggling to have provide shelter for their families. Unemployment rose, you know, just because purely the pandemic um, and other, you know, very real problems on a daily basis for people. It's harder to get from place to place because of transportation. So how do we address these things and how do we plan for the future? Since I saw the pandemic as a huge disruptor. Um, so after going through all the scoring criteria, I realized that we didn't stand a chance. Mm. We had, I don't know if you're familiar with Boundbrook and North Plainfield and Franklin Township. And um, Boundbrook and North Plainfield, though, more specifically, they have an opportunity zone. Mm. And this is an area of, uh, from the federal level. They're designated regions um, to spur economic growth based on incentives. So what they did, it was, you know, most real estate investors, they do 1031 exchanges. But instead of doing a 1031 exchange and just pushing the can down the road, if you invest in one of these areas and hold the property, you actually don't have to pay capital gains. Mm. So that is a huge savings for an investor. It's a huge incentive. And when they want to go apply for this program so they can plan accordingly and really promote more of this growth, and they had just about everything, transit villages, opportunity zone, you name it, they've got an arts district. No matter how much they did on the ground game, everything possible, they would not have received one dime of funding. Mm. And that is the suburban disadvantage. Um, so making sure that, you know, we take a legislative approach and give them the answer. So what I find as a um, politician a lot of people come with concerns, but they don't come with the solutions. So we made this a gift wrap package and said, this is the concern and this is the solution that we would be really happy with. And we bought it to our legislators. 
So with presenting it to our um, elected officials in the state house, um, to the EDA, and to our governor's office as well. The consensus that I heard was, how did we miss this? And sometimes it's just taking that next step to make sure that it can be addressed instead of just saying, we never received money, which is what I've heard growing up and um, from a lot of politicians, and we'll just never receive it. It's not worth a shot. Even when I was putting together the funding from the different um, regional groups, I heard that as well. Why should we invest more money when we don't stand a chance? Mm. You know, in John Maxwell's book, Failing Forward, uh, he has he quotes a Latin pro- proverb that says, if there is no wind, row. And so it really speaks to the determination to do, even in spite of what, uh, and it's keeping with this analogy, what, what the headwinds may, we may, we may be up against, right? Like we just got to keep going. And, and I applaud your effort for, even though it seemed like the, it was an uphill battle, you guys still kept carrying that flag to ensure that, you know, your constituencies, the people who you're serving were at least given a voice and, and were heard. Couldn't agree more. So, you know, I thank you for that. Now, I I am curious, uh, what conflict did you experience along the way? People not supporting it vote wise, too. Mm -hmm. So um, not everyone is going to vote yes. And in this business, we have to count our votes because that is the pure measure of whether you're going to take that next step and be able to progress with your initiative or if it's going to get shut down. And if it gets shut down, are you going to try again and propose it in a slightly different way or with different elected officials where it might pass? Um, And how do you make that change? So um, I started off and I was in the minority. Uh, Somerset County is typically very conservative. Mm. And not to get too political on that side, because I, I like to stick purely for representation and, you know, what's really coming out of it. Um, But we did find that we were proposing strong ideas but just because we proposed it we didn't get it um we got shut down we wouldn't get things on the agenda so there's different (laughs) there's different restrictions when you're in the minority and you're serving um that holds you back different you know conservative areas they pulled away from contracts with us so starting from day one we lost a two million dollar contract Wow. that we had to fill that gap and build wow. new relationships and find that very quickly in the middle of a pandemic when you're just trying to do that, you know, patchwork and, you know, hope the, the ship doesn't sink. And mm. while still trying to, you know, have a few of your highlighted projects that you've been hoping to accomplish from day one, you have your wish list, um, but that, of course, changes. Mm. What transformation that did you experience? So I learned how to be more confident in what I was proposing. Mm-hmm. As a younger elected official, I am around more seasoned um, individuals. So they have different corporate experience um, that you know doubles or triples plus of what I've done in my lifetime. But that doesn't always mean that it's the right way. So just because I have a different lens or I have fewer years of experience on that side, 
you know, you can still bring a good idea to the table. So I've learned to really harness that voice and uh, present it in a way where I am a respected member and, you know, now currently serving as the deputy director of the board as a more senior member today. Wow. You know, your, your statement that you're making right now actually reminds me of a quote from Aristotle. He says, there is only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. So the fact that you gave, you gave voice in spite of what your, you know, that transformation just sounds like you were still up against things, but you still decided in spite of what the political mores were of those who were opposed to you because of whatever their experience or whatever it may be, um, you still decided to just keep going. So I applaud you for that. You know, uh, on this part, no, my pleasure on this part of the the, the questions that I'm going to ask you. We got your journey, right? We we actually we flushed that out to to a certain extent, I believe. But now we want to talk about what I believe to be your niche. Right. And And the niche really falls into five categories or five questions. The first one is what are your passions? What are your strong interests? The second is purpose, purposeful. What do you do that feels meaningful you? meaningful to you the third one is patterns what do you do naturally well the fourth are activities that have to do with your proficiencies these are the things that you've learned to do well over time and the last ones are problem solvers what do people come to you to correct in a unique way all right so we'll go back up to the top of the niche section of of the niche finder podcast Uh, so when we talk about your passions uh what ignites you what do you have strong interests in Things that hit home. So what really, you know, sparks that fire in my heart to go out and do the thankless job, as they call it. Um, things that really affected me growing up. So my, uh, my mother was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was five years old and went untreated for many years until I was around a sophomore in college when she finally got the help that she needed. So one thing with mental health, which is a huge area of the county, is that it doesn't affect that one person, but it affects every single person that they touch. Mm. So growing up and seeing her not being able to hold a job, um, not being able to be as, you know, great of a parent as she wanted to all the time because she was struggling with this. Um, it really is was something that stuck with me. And if we can put together some more resources, like Richard Hall, it's one of our two mental health hospitals in the state. Mm. And when they cut the transportation funding for that, that's the way that people in some of the most heart-wrenching situations and their families too, can get to the help that they need. So it's not just providing the help, but it's getting to it. And when I saw that was cut, that's when I realized that I wanted to run, you know, for freeholder at the time now that we call a county commissioner, um, because it affected something that hit home. I, I feel like that's, uh, we call it heart work, because that is what ignites um, true public servants to doing what's needed and keep holding people accountable. Cornell West actually, I thought, put it best when he says that justice is is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And I find that when you start dealing with what with public office, 
and the balancing act of being able to communicate uh, in you know on behalf of a group of people and convey that that need to to those who you kind of connecting great need with great resources I find that to be such a challenge or at least in me I don't know outside looking in it sounds to be so much of a challenge do you find that in going to question number two that that makes that feels purposeful to you absolutely so the the challenge if there's no challenge I don't think there's anything that would really feel as satisfying Mm. if something is so easy it's not really worth it Mm. as they say right (laughs) so the um not every day was predictable and like i said some days you have wins some days you have losses you take five steps forward and ten steps back Mm. um but you learn a little bit even from your losses you probably learn more from your losses than you do your wins so that's you know that's what i realized growing up and you know there's silver lining in everything so it may not be the way you planned it um and it may not be that the image that everyone sees but Mm. it is part of what shapes you to who you are today Excellent. What patterns do you have? What do you do naturally well? So I mentioned this once before, but I talk to a lot of strangers. And (laughs) for some reason, I I call it like the confessional. People just call me up or they come up to me and they just tell me things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can see you're you're very, very approachable. Although this is a podcast and the video will not be shown. I mean, you're very, you're very personable and and seem to be a warm and welcoming person. just a persona about you. You have this warm and welcoming persona about you. Um, so I can see people coming up to you and feel comfortable to share. <laughs> uh, so, so um, proficiencies now there is a different side of the pattern coin. So where patterns are what we do naturally well, proficiencies are what we've learned to do well over time. What will fall in that bucket of proficiency for you? Public speaking. I was awful at public speaking when I first got started. I will never forget the crowd's face from the first speech I gave. It is like something that really sinks in. Mm. (laughs) You never forget the people's reaction. And what I realized, what I was going back to, you learn more from your losses (laughs) or what you do wrong. I was trying to just present a boilerplate speech instead of just speaking from the heart. Wow. When you're passionate about something, it's easy to go up there and give a speech about something that, you know, is driving you. When you give your stump speech, as they say, mm. and I give everyone, you know, what I've done and all this other stuff, there's nothing that I hate more than like bragging about any accomplishments that I may have had. <laughs> I was like, mm. I don't want to hear this. I don't think they want to hear it. <laughs> right, right. So let's get down to, you know, actually getting to know each other and, you know, even if it's in speech form. Wow. What problems do you solve or what do people come to you correct? Come to you to correct? So in my line of business, it can be just about anything. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's very entertaining uh, sometimes for what people, they wish you could fix certain problems, but you can't. Um, mm. So everything from on the business side, corporate problems to you know, personal problems too. A lot of times that I've realized, especially with the pandemic, they just want someone to talk to, so someone mm. to listen. Even if you can't fix the problem, give them decency. 
And I think that was lacking um, for quite a bit of time with some of our leadership. Mm. They lost the decency of listening to the constituent. And even if you can't fix the problem, that goes a long way for them. Just to know that you heard them out and tried. Mm. You know, um, so I thank you for that. So this last segment that I have here is called your secrets, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right so uh, it's, it is basically you now sharing uh, with me, but you're actually speaking to your younger self, right? This is this is your pre niche self, or prior to getting into this niche of real estate and 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 and, and kind of using it in the commissioner space that you have, right? How do you, what would, what secret or what one secret would you share with your pre niche self that would help accelerate you from where you are at that moment in time, at the beginning, to where you are now? Use your voice. Mm. <laughs> Don't be scared to speak up. So, growing up, I was actually the shyest kid in school. Wow. Every single yearbook that I have from like middle school on to even high school, they said, you're really nice. But you sh- it's like, but you're really quiet or you're shy. Mm. <laughs> so if I just was able to embrace that, and when I went away to college, I was like, I get this fresh start. No one knows me here. And I can, you know, have a clean slate. Let's give this a shot. And I just wow. started talking to people and enjoying my life as opposed to tiptoeing and being more timid and, you know, <laughs> Was, so it gave you gave you an opportunity to uh, to start to use your voice, and so let me let me ask you this: What secret is a must have to getting started and then staying committed? Being okay with being uncomfortable, mm. putting yourself out there. Like I said, that first speech I gave was horrible, wow. but I you know I really didn't have much of a choice. I signed myself up to be a candidate, so I had three more that day. So I was like, mm. we're, we're, we got to try <laughs> get back up there. Don't do the same exact thing, because if you do that again, you're going to get the same result. <laughs> Don't expect something different. Mm. So as uh, I started to practice more, wasn't a skill set that I naturally had. But the more I did it, the easier it got. I got less nervous over time. Still got a little nervous, um, but it gets easier and you learn a lot from you know, putting yourself in more vulnerable positions. Wow. You know, James Allen said there can be no progress, no achievement without sacrifice. Um, What sacrifice did you have to make as you started on your journey that you feel has been um, part of what led to the success that you've had so far? I sacrificed a lot of my personal life. Mm. So I put a pause on just about everything. Um, I was doing the executive MBA program over at Rutgers with yourself. Um, I was working in banking full time. I was serving on the board of education and, you know, every now and then you do have family obligations too, but anything outside of that, you know, the REMBA program was very demanding and I was also up for re-election on the board of ed. So I got started when I was 22 years old. So right out of college, I started serving. And because I did everything so quickly and so accelerated, it did put me apart from everyone else, but it took tons of sacrifice. Um, There were nights that I 
didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. I didn't want to keep, I could have been out with my friends, but I was just so exhausted. I would come back at midnight. I'd, I'd leave when it was dark. I'd come home when it was dark and literally just come home to sleep. Wow. And not much me time, <laughs> if that. So even just for like, you know, a little bit of self-care and making sure that, you know, having your own little routine. The routine was just work, work, work um, wow. for quite a few years. And that's how I was able to build so quickly. But it also, I put a pause to things. Um, but I don't regret it at all. I think that I, the sacrifice was well worth it. And it was constructive time, and I get to have more of a social life now and personal life. And I'm very happy for where I am, and I get to travel quite a bit and, you know, run for mm. reaction once again. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there was a mentor that uh, over the last several years, I haven't spoken to him in quite some time, but his name is uh, Jeru Nathiga. Um, one thing, once when I was speaking to him as he was helping me to publish my first book, he shared with me a quote that I share with you now. He said, the highest level of success is service. And this is in his opinion. I, I thought that was so such a profound, profound snippet that he just dropped a nugget, if you would, just kind of dropped in a conversation. And um, I, it, looking at it from, you know, success from that lens of serving others or being a go giver versus a go getter or going to give. Um, what did you discover along this path of finding your niche in public service that you feel has led to your success? So I would say I found my niche before I even started, quote unquote, serving as an elected official. Okay. Um, I actually started volunteering at the Burnersville Senior Center mm. when I was a kid because I didn't want to be home. So things were challenging, you know, my, my mother was sick. So I figured, how do I make the best use of my time mm. without getting into trouble? Because you have choices along the way. And I could either get in trouble, hang out with the wrong crowd, or I could take advantage of this great community that, you know, not everyone is really, you know, blessed to grow up in. I grew up in Burnersville, New Jersey, mm. beautiful area tons of people in leadership and I started serving by volunteering at the senior center so we would pack brown paper bag meals for meals on wheels nice. and we would serve them the thing I loved most was getting to sit down and speak with them because a lot of them you know their families have moved moved away they didn't want to be selfish and demanding and you know saying stay around here and take care of me or anything like that so they would come to the senior center as their one time to interact mm. and that was their life and you know they had a lot of hardships but there's something that I learned throughout the way that they taught me so much more than I even gave to them Wow! and that's what really made me wanted to want to start serving and the community they they raised me as much as my family did it's really it takes a village um, mm. in many senses so I think all those little pieces collectively is what is proper um, service for the community that made me very happy and is very satisfying. And it just even more so rewarding than anything I've done. Mm. How frequent should one make time develop their niche? So 
I feel like you develop your niche without even knowing it. Mm. So like I said, volunteering at the senior center, the intent was to not be at home. Wow. But the result was a, you know, county commissioner. Mm. So, you know, I started serving when I was 22 and I became the youngest female elected official in the state. I realized a lot of people were seeking mentorship from me. And I, I didn't really know how I got there. So you take time to reflect, you go back and, you know, how do you really get to your niche? Um, do things that make you, that satisfy you, like like wow. service satisfied me. And that is what really fuels that fire in you. And wow. there is something that you cannot mistake in that for. Um, once you feel that, you never want anything else. Sometimes you have to sacrifice, do things you don't want to to get there. And, you know, you do that because it tastes so much better once you achieve. Hmm. You know, um, I, I, I love I love what you're bringing up now as far as when you look back and you see what, you know, and you kind of said, like, what I what I heard you say is that it, finding your niche in essence or it just seemed like it just happened you know overnight because you just were drawn to certain situations seem circumstantial but there is interesting they they did and i shared this on one of the other podcasts before uh in the book strength finder 2.0 there was a 23 year uh longitudinal study that was done on about a thousand kids in new zealand and what they found was is that the one thing that didn't change they started the study when they were three years old and they came back and they did, you know, a retest of them at when they when these kids were now 26. And what they found, the thing that one thing that did not change were the the talents and traits that they had from three years old to 26. It still was the same. So it was, it was almost and using my term, like their niche didn't change. The thing that made them unique did not change. And I just find it so interesting that you're hard to serve. Uh, obviously there's some guidance and, and things and you obviously, you know, it sounds like there was certain people who were giving you good guidance to say, choose this rather than that. And you were making some wise choices at a very, very young age, but still that heart of serving that you're now having as a foundation in your niche. I believe that it's, it's probably always been there. You know, it's, it's revealed in different circumstances, but uh, definitely I, I think that that study really speaks to how it's just, it's, it's lodged in this and eventually it comes out like oil through a geyser, you know, through certain situations, you know? So, um, the last couple questions that I have for you is, uh, how do you know when it's time to change course versus staying focused on your goal? when you realize you're throwing the same thing at the problem and it's not fixing it. Mm. So I think a lot of people, they do that nine to five job. I heard it with a lot of our Rumba classmates yeah. and they said, I'm doing the same thing day in and day out. And I'm not really going anywhere for that next level. I'm not satisfying these qualities that I have. I'm not, be, I'm not, able to present it to the rest of the world to show them the greatness that you have within how much impact you can make um how much you can help others you know so on and so forth so i think uh you know that's really where it starts Mm. so last question that i have for you what 
action item would you give to the niche finder community that you saying that you would say to them, this is a must have for you to implement, not just at one point in time, but, but right away. So a must have to implement. Yeah. Just to help them find their niche. Like what, 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 what would be a great action item that you would, that you would tell the niche finder community to help them find their niche? Confidence in yourself. Hmm. You have to believe that there's something special about you. I think each and every person, they have their own superpower. Mm. So you excel at something and you're the best at it. You, you know, you try to have a fish walk and they're mm. not going to do too well. Right. But when they swim, they're incredible. Right. You know, I found what I'm great at and I did everything possible to make sure that. I could excel in that area. So figure out what your passion is and, you know, be confident in that. Don't let other people say that you're, you know, maybe you're not the greatest in, you know, English class or math class or something like that, or you're not the best athlete. Well, maybe you're not supposed to be. Do the thing that you're great at and Mm. keep going because that's what people are going to remember you for. You don't have to be good at those other things. You just have to understand the basics of it to get by. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's what a true leader can accomplish when they're in the right setting. Mm. That's excellent. And so, Commissioner Sarah Soy, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and to share your words of encouragement and also wisdom. Um, if, if someone wants to get in contact with you, just to kind of keep this line of communication open, how would they best get in contact with you? Sure. So you can actually go to the county website and all my contact information is public. Mm. So we have our, you know, the county phone number and the email address. So just shoot me an email and or give me a call and I will respond. So, you know, you can even just Google Somerset County and you'll see the main page pop right up. <laughs> it's easy all as right. that. Well, all thank right. you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to see you again and you know, I hope to see you again soon. Oh, yeah, definitely. And for the Niche Finder community, for those who want to get in contact with us, you know, you can um, definitely uh, visit us on dreamoctane.org. And just remember, if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Niche Finder Framework. We thank, again, Commissioner Sarah Soy for being a part of this program. And we look forward to having the very next guest on the next program. So we see you on the other side. Thank you again for tuning in.